Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room. Aaron and I want to give thanks to all of you for all of your engagement and subscribing and hitting the notification bell and leaving the reviews that you probably didn't leave. So, um, <laughs> sorry. <Nice>. Sorry. <laughs> Starting just, off you know, passive, Let's go. passive aggressive uh, <laughs> shots. Anyway, right. um, so we, we pinged the Discord last night because um, – Trent wasn't able to make it, and it was kind of like, well, we want to have a discussion. What we were going to talk about, we wanted to have a discussion with all three of us. So we decided to audible and hop on Discord last night, thanks to you, Aaron, and and kind of ask like, hey, what do you guys want? And it's in, in it's almost a way of us to say thanks to the Discord folks that are out there uh, staying engaged and stuff like that, um, just so we can address specifically what, what they were wanting to know because – Sometimes, you know, we, we either gloss over things or we miss things or we don't specifically answer the questions that they want to know. So, um, we've got a list here, uh, that will kind of, and we won't hit it like a lightning round, but we will definitely hit it as in like, Hey, these are the things that you specifically ask. So we will, some of them, especially the first one, like, it, I don't want to say it's, it'll get spicy because it's not going to get spicy because we're, you know, just we've done it enough that we, we yeah. know, but right. um, the very first thing that was brought up that you guys wanted us to address are uh, senior leader policy letters, memos, emails that get sent out. Not, not ones that are leaked or anything like that, but just ones that, you know, there was recent ones that um, some of the major commands had put out and that some of air force leadership and DOD really had put out. And, it's, it's not a matter of whether we agree with them or not, you know, because like and we've said it before, there are things that my that the special warfare community does. SOCOM, um, the Air Force, the DOD that that none of us agree with, like like there are certain aspects of some of it. Yeah, we're like, yeah, absolutely. In fact, most of it, we probably are like, yeah, sure. But there are things that we just. It's, it's like anybody else, you know, whether it's your own family members, your own friends, your, your, your work colleagues, like they're just things that you don't agree with. Um, but you know, that's, that's what it is. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think people from the outside looking in put too much weight in these things. Like they look at these yeah. letters and then they apply like all of this, like gravitas and all, all of this, like important stuff. And, you know, first of all, you got to remember, you know, the senior leaders are just people. Yeah. So these, these letters and these policy letters, sometimes it's good policy. Sometimes they're just trying to put out policy. Like the fact that they're willing to at least write their signature block under some things that they want to get at, whether it's a mission statement, whether it's a vision. And this happens all the time. You know, we got asked about a specific policy letter and they were like, Hey, how did you guys feel about this? And I was like, I don't know the same that I feel about the 16 other letters just like this that I get every year that they, they give to the force from whether it's the AFSOC commander or, uh, you know, the, you know, the chief of staff, of the air force, or, you know, your individual group commander, your, your own commander will send these things out to the unit. Like no mm -hmm. kidding in this week, I got like four of these and that's not an exaggeration. It just, you know, it's the summer PCS turnover season. People are changing different levels of command. So each commander is going out there with their senior enlisted leader. And they're like, Hey, what do we value? What do we want to get after? Are there, are there any things wrong that we want to fix? Are there any things that are right that we want to continue? And then they, they put that out to the force. That's how we do stuff. People seem to think every time this 
you know, any senior leader puts something out that the force is like, Oh, have you seen this? Yeah. And it like rockets around the career field. And then everybody talks about it. Like guys, it, it really just doesn't matter that much. Right. And, you know, I said it on the discord, but I'll say it here too. When you ask us these things, and this is just, this is like breaking the fourth wall, right? You got to remember like peaches and I are, are people, right? Like we're regular humans. We're not smarter than you. We're not better than you. We've, we've been in this thing longer than you, you know, so we're older than most of you or some of you, but you know, there's, there's really no win here. Like if you ask us about a specific, like, let's say chief Cologne Lopez, he puts out something from his seat at the SEAC and it causes a big kerfluffle. Like he never has, um, you know, there's, there's been things that he said that, you know, got, you know, news attention or whatever, who cares, right? Let's say he puts something out and you ask me to speak on that. And I give my opinion on it. There is no win. There's no win on the internet for that. It's either me sound. If I say, I agree with it hundred percent, it's me sounding like a company man. You're like, Oh, you can't agree with it hundred percent. Or if I say, I disagree with it hundred percent. Then you're like, oh, you just undermine your senior leader. Like there's no, there's no win for us to speak on it. Right. Um, when anybody puts it out and I'll keep using CZ cause that's a safe space to, you know, cause he, he puts out level headed advice and he speaks in plain language and to his credit CZ. And I said it on another forum somewhere, but you know, CZ to his credit has always been very clear, very concise. And that dude really has not changed his posture throughout his, his entire career. He's, he's willing to engage with you point to point. He is willing to get down um, to the tactical level and explain what he's doing. People may or may not agree with it. And I'm sure there are people that don't agree with it. I'm sure there are people that have tons of bad things to say for a million different reasons, just like everybody always does. But really these policy letters, it's, it's really, it just is what it is. You know, you take the good from it, you take the bad from it. And then, you know, somewhere in the middle, there is, you know, some, some things that you can use to drive forward. Like in the end, it's really much to do about nothing. Right. So there's yeah. really, there's really not a whole lot of stuff that we can't, we would say, and it's not, not because like we're trying to protect our brand here on the podcast. It's really more just like, I, I just really don't have an opinion. Well, most of the time, these letters, uh, honestly, like kind of peeking behind the curtain, they don't actually change thing that much. It's no. not like, Hey, we're putting out a policy and then, it's it's to give intent, mm -hmm. but if if it is something drastic, so much stuff has to happen before like, that. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. By the time the letter comes out, I, by I mean, the time it's just, that email comes out, there's like a year of ch stuff changer, and people know about it well before that. Well before the, that, on the at the quickest, a year. You mm -hmm. know, I, I mean, it's just um, it's not something to get hung up on. Yeah. Uh, exactly. whether you whether you like it or not like so right. so say it's a positive thing and you're just like hell yeah mm -hmm. all right let's start it now you know let's on monday let, let's kick right. this thing off and it's like no no dude uh it's gonna uh, be a little bit general brown had accelerate change or lose uh or lose right mm -hmm. yeah dude dude i thought that was great that was a that was a great policy from a senior leader and basically what he was saying is you either you continue forward you make the change or we're going to lose. You know what I mean? Like, right. it was, and part of that in the, you know, inside of that was he was, he was talking about regulations, rules and regulations. And he was like, you either comply, you either waive it or you change it. Those are your only options. Ignoring a regulation is not the way to do it. Like if you, if, if you want to, if you want to change it, if it's dumb, you wait, like, okay, fine. You delete it. We, we stop following that, but you go through the process of actually doing it. I did respect that. Yeah. And the, so he, um, it was actually originally accelerate change or die, but nice, uh, but, 
but his uh, his team thought that maybe it was a little bit aggressive. Uh, so I wish it would. I wish it was. So they, he walked it back. Uh, um, I wish it was accelerate change. Right. Die. That's tight. I mean, that's. <laughs> but again, it's it's still intent, and he's given intent to the force because you really don't want uh, CQ Brown or CSAF to to be getting into your chili mm-hmm. about like you will do it this way. He he, and, and that's what. The, the senior leaders of the Air Force and the DOD do. They are supposed to give intent. And that is commander's intent. And then, then you drive forward with that intent to make yep. things happen. Mission um, type it, orders. You give yep. what, not how. You give guidance and intent, clear guidance and expectations, and then you go. That's yep. what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So. And, but, and even then he lays it out pretty good in his accelerate change or lose. So if you guys mm-hmm. haven't checked it out, I would definitely look it up. And then he also has a, a, a couple extra little tidbits in there too. So, right. All right. Moving on to the next one. So we had a question about learning uh, from past mistakes and being better on a new team. You're going to have the chance to reinvent, like reinvent yourself as a person, as a man. Like, obviously if you like completely change your personality all the time, people are going to think you're disingenuous and you're not a real person. Right. But I liken this to PCSing or when you leave one team to go to a new team, you have a really good chance to essentially reinvent yourself who you want to be as an operator, who you want to be as a person, who you want to be as a teammate, you have a chance to learn from those past mistakes. And you're not ever going to start from a fresh slate, right? Like you're never going to show up and, you know, people know your name. You're going to have these relationships that you built, but even starting in the pipeline, you get to decide who you want to be almost every day. You get to show up and you can be like, Hey, I screwed this up yesterday. I'm not going to screw this up today. When you transfer over to a new team, like when you PCS, if you're a combat control candidate and you're getting ready to PCS, from San Antonio over to Fort Liberty in North Carolina, when you show up to Fort Liberty, those instructors don't have day-to-day interaction with you. Those those teammates that you're going to be on team with, it might be a completely different group of people. It might be the same sort of people um, that you were with in some sort of mix, right? But you get to learn from those past mistakes. If you're doing a good job and taking inventory and taking the feedback, especially that your teammates will give you, because your teammates will give you feedback. Sometimes it sounds like, hey, you suck. Like you need to, Hey, you're a dick. You need to stop doing this stuff. But not in a toxic way either. Not I'm talking about way, like, yeah. it's a, it's legitimate feedback. Hey, you really bolded that. Right. You really need to, to do X, Y, and Z and fix this. Cause you cannot mm-hmm. keep going and doing whatever that is that you messed up. You got to stop or, yeah. or you got to revector. It's and not you, toxic. Yeah. And if you take that feedback and if you listen, you really listen to your teammates you can make yourself a better person. You have a chance to become better and be like every single PCS, every single new team, you know, deployments are always a good time to reset because you're down, down range, you're doing the job. You've cut, you know, all of these things. That's why guys love deploying by the way, is because all this home station stuff, senior leader emails, uh, you know, PowerPoints, CBTs, like you're as, you're as current as you're ever going to be. You're as greened up as you're ever going to be. Like you don't have to do, there's rules when we deploy, like you don't have to do silly, you know, one-off training events to keep yourself green. You know, you don't have to do your, uh, what, what, what you guys used to do when you guys got demo? It was the burn calculations. You guys oh, would be yeah. doing like math problems in the team room and stuff. <laughs> like, that's why people love deploying so much is because you're only focused on the job. All the other stuff kind of goes away. Man, that's an awesome time. Number one, to get in the best shape of your life. If you're doing it correctly, your battle rhythm, because you Man, there's no distractions. If you're actually deploying to a place uh, that you're doing real work, there ain't fast food there. You're not drinking. You're sitting with your friends. You can't just go out and you 
Peaches can't order a Papa John's pizza <laughs> on base at eight o'clock at night in the house. Well, we we got to make sure that we release that episode then before, uh, before <laughs> yeah, this one, because nobody's going to know what we're talking about. People aren't going to get the, <laughs> nobody ever knows what we're talking about. People aren't going to get true. the peaches eats pizza joke. Um, but yeah, so that's a, that's a great time. Like as long as you're taking that feedback, you can, you can reinvent yourself as many times as you want. That's what, that's what growing as a person is. That's what being a better person is, you know, looking, it's totally okay. And this is going to be a wild thing. It is totally okay to look at it in your past and just cringe and just look at the things that you've done and go, oh my God, I cannot believe it. I newsflash, I look back in my past and sometimes it is a physical reaction of me going, <laughs> oh my God, this Ooh. is I am such an idiot. But that's good. That's a good thing. And you can then avoid those. Like, and if you really think about it, not just like, oh my God, I was such a, I'm such a terrible person and turn it into this negative self-talk, but more like what were the events that led up to that? How do I yeah. avoid that in the future? And how do I be better? Yeah. It's uh deployments are fantastic. Yeah. Good nutrition. If you have any uh, kind of vices, like, you know, you're, you drinking too much or you mm -hmm. found yourself that you're drinking too much or whatever, or um, again, you know, Papa, <laughs> Papa John's pizza, Papa John's pizza, baby, <laughs> you know, they make it too convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the issue. Um, exactly. Then yeah, it's it's a great place. I, and you know, that is a a part of the deployment for sure other than the hey, you get a chance to do your job because you spent, you know, depending on where you fall into the F4 so gen cycle, F so 4 gen cycle rather. Um you know, you've been you've been training for this. So, you you get yeah, to go down there and, and actually get after it. Yeah. 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 Man, I keep hitting my mic. All right. Get it. Moving on. So uh, so we have some strategies for mental prep. Okay. So this is sort of a non-answer, but we already did a whole hour of content on it. So we're going to hit it real quick. We had Dr. Brittany Loney on. She's phenomenal. Her podcast is amazing. Uh, I talked to one of the dudes in the Discord. I'll, I'll look right here to give you a shout out. But we said that we were going to drop it this week. She has some fantastic, like absolutely um, amazing strategies for mental prep and not only for dealing with things in the moment, but prep for it. So Dr. Loney's episode is going to drop. Uh, let's see. I think it was, as I look here at sky. Nope. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll look here as we kind of like talk through <laughs> it. Um, but she was fantastic. So she worked yep. in USASOC. She is, I mean, her bona fides are unquestionable. She is amazing. Um, yeah, she's and she been around the community community for quite some time. I'll I'll talk while you uh, while yeah, you look it sure. up. But yeah, let me look. Yeah, yeah, she's been around the community for quite some time, and um, that that actually wasn't always her interest. I forget exactly what she had she had gone in to do, but. Now so she was she an NCAA is, basketball player. She got right. her, yeah, she got her degree and then she wanted to work kind of like sports psychology and stuff. And she found her way into USASOC because of, uh, you know, the highly competitive, um, nature. And I think she worked on a project if I'm remembering it correctly, yeah, like Echo she was project. writing a paper on it. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's part of the echo project and man, now, now we're really, dude, we're putting ourselves on the spot here. I know. Right. By, by not <laughs> By bringing up stuff that we're not actually prepared to uh, to yeah. talk about, right? Yeah, okay. and it was mellow. So, what's up, mellow from the Discord? This is a great question. We're gonna get this out for you. Um, and uh, Dr. Brittany Loney goes into it, so you know we'll we'll let that episode kind of speak for itself. But yeah, we'll, it's we'll uh, elite elite cognition and human optimization. Echo. Yep. Awesome. Uh, all right, moving on. So 
we got a great question about um, how CAS and medical changes sort of like from the GWAT or from Vietnam to now, like all the things that have changed. Man, it is mind blowing. So this is probably an episode really in and of itself. But, you know, we'll, we'll just start off with CAS. So, you know, Peach, talk us through how, you know, we started off. So for a little history lesson, really, really quick, down and dirty. I'm probably going to get this wrong and get some heat from the controller community. But started off as kind of like the Pathfinder, Pathfinder uh, light uh, in the army is kind of where CCT started from. Like the combat control teams really had their, had their lineage in the Pathfinder teams and the, and the LERS teams in the army and then the air force and combat control grew out of that. And then, you know, started in, in Vietnam about the same time. So fr- from that time, how was close air support, you know, how, how was it done? And then how has it evolved to now? Well, uh, I'll just go through kind of the, the nineties, if you will, cause you, and obviously I'm not an expert in that, but you have, you essentially have two different types of close air support uh, thought process. You have the kind of what everybody is familiar with now, which is kind of the coin, which is the counterinsurgency kind of, you have a, a, a large stack overhead. You're not really doing IPs or, or uh, initial points or anything like that and avoiding threats. You're yeah. You always have the, the threat of small arms and stuff like that. And, and RPGs for the helicopters and, and that kind of thing. But really you're not setting an IP way in the back to keep them safe and then to have a run in and all that kind of stuff. That is so going back to coin, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So you're not doing that. You're you're essentially wheeling up is what we call it, where you have them overhead, they have a persistent eyes on the target, on the friendlies, doing multiple scans and stuff like that. And then it's, it's pretty hasty. So if something needs to be engaged, you know, you, you have, you have thought through the stack of aircraft ahead on who's going to have engagement. What is the right munitions for that specific target and so on. And I'm, I am, oh, admittedly, I'm oversimplifying this, but there's, sure. I mean, this, you're talking about weeks of academics on all this right. kind of stuff. So, um, so that's coin. It's very dynamic and it's very fast paced. Um, and that is what kind of our, our special operations TAC P's and our, uh, CCT, JTAC qualified CCTs, like that's, that's what they're good at. Mm-hmm. Then you also have the, the LISCO or the, the coin, the large combat operations or the, the major combat operations, which are, um, you know, tanks and artillery and massive movements. Of, of people across a large space of, yeah. of land going forward. And so think, think a, a good example of this and think desert one, right? Yeah. As we're rolling through the desert and these huge convoys and, and people are no kidding, like calling out tanks that are in front of them, like that, that roll into Baghdad, the, you know, the first time mm-hmm. desert one, where we are just absolutely schwacking dudes along the highway of death. Right. And the a tens, we're out there doing that. Like that is, that is what peaches is talking about here. Like this yep. huge, large scale open battle. Yeah. And, and that, so that's, that is a slower tempo, um, which is what your, your kind of conventional tech P's specialize in. Now, you know, with, with conventional tech P's, they are, they are, um, 
you know, some of them attached to armor, some of them attached to the 101st, 82nd Airborne, and and they're airborne qualified and all that kind of stuff. So, but it is a slower pace, if you will. But it's but it's massive. That is where you're going to do, you know, set establish IPs because usually it is going to be more dangerous for aircraft. You're trying to maintain a a higher level of positive control over aircraft and the close air support that you're providing. So two totally different different types of things. Um, which, you know, your, your global war on terrorism, your Afghanistan, your Iraq, at least, you know, the 2003 and on Iraq sure. was predominantly coin or the counterinsurgency where it was a faster, dy- more dynamic type of close air support. Yep. So it's, it's, um, how it's evolved, really technology and TTPs or tactics, mm-hmm. techniques, and procedures, because we have, the aircraft, the targeting pods that they have now, the munitions that they, we have now are are so advanced, so accurate. So you, you're kind of old days of, um, and believe me, I love some GBU-31s, you know, 2,000 pounders. Love them. Dropped mm-hmm. a lot of them, right? And they have a purpose. They 100% have a purpose. But now we have gone more surgical because of the accuracy of these weapons. And, and a GBU-31 is accurate. It's, you know, it's GPS guided. But the but it you know big boom kind of thing right where whereas you know you can have some 250 pound explosives that are gps and laser guided and they can be extremely accurate and don't need to be delivered from a you know 89 degree angle they can kind of do other things right right well now we're (laughs) even talking you know the hellfire R9X is a great example, right? That that is a new like as CAS has evolved, that doesn't even have explosives on it. No, she's it, it, it she's has pretty just, awesome. I know, yeah. It's just it's a you're just using physics and then you're essentially deploying a bunch of like katana sized uh pieces of steel because it has so much kinetic energy, you're not blowing things up. That's what we killed Soleimani with, right? So you have this Hellfire R9X. And it doesn't even have explosives on it because it's going at that speed. You can literally just shred everything that it hits. So that's another thing. Like, you know, we went from the mother of all bombs. Like, yeah, that's a cool video. And that was that was tight to see it, you know, just completely wipe an entire like part of the earth away. Yeah. But maybe you don't need that. But uh, I think I do have to caveat, though, or maybe that's not even the right word. I got to alibi that. Um, Okay. Yeah. That there is a, a place and a reason for big booms, sure. um, you know, so it's, it's not like we're just going to shrink all these munitions down and we, we will never have a, a reason to have large munitions. You, you absolutely need a Moab. Oh, yeah. You need You need GBU 31s. You need the big, the big booms. Um, because sometimes there's targets that are just that big or that dense that you, you need those. And think about the psychological effect of that Moab. Dude. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the, the destruction. Obviously there was a lot of destruction, but mm-hmm. I don't know what the, how many enemy combatants were killed or anything like that. But the psychological effect of that was huge. Well, just the deterrence, just, you know, th- that word got out where they're like, Hey uh, guys, if you F around, it turns out they will, will make find you out. find out. Yeah. With yeah, the F around find out scale just by word of mouth alone. I mean, that's extreme that, prejudice <laughs> ex- with extreme prejudice. I love it. It's a great quote from the, uh, from Dan Schilling's book, uh, alone at dawn. He was talking about Pete Blaber and, you know, some of the early days of Anaconda and 
you know, there was a four word message that got sent on a tough book, terminate with extreme prejudice. It's yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So that's cast. So man, medicine is a little bit different because m- military medicine has been around since there has been military, right? Like medicine has been around since there were humans, right? So the evolution of military medicine has been ridiculous. Um, you know, and, and just like in the way that we look at things because science, you know, when we well, go back to George Washington, right? Like go back to the American revolution, we were still putting leeches on people to bleed them out of disease, right? We were <laughs> cutting legs off because we didn't know how to deal with infection. We had no idea about germ theory, uh, or terrain theory, if you're trying to get conspiratorially minded anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> look Jeez. up terrain theory. It's pretty interesting. Uh, anyway, so but we didn't know a lot of that stuff and military medicine, look at, you know, stuff like, you know, saving private Ryan is obviously a fictional movie, but that I don't know how many times I've seen and how many military training courses as a, like the, the medics would just basically try to stop some bleeding. They really didn't know how to use tourniquets. They would drop you some morphine if you were in pain and then they just had to go on. Like the, the military medics in world war two were great at triage because they were just, they, they just knew how to like sort people and figure out who was going to live and who didn't. And, you know, uh, we started in GWAT. We really didn't have that many reps like medicine was catching up, but even the pack in 1993 that Tim Wilkinson was carrying and the Ranger medics in Black Hawk down in Somalia, we would look at that today and we'd be like, what the heck is going on? Right. They went from sticks and rags and, you know, gauze and packing wounds like tourniquets were, you know, finally in vogue there, but they were still doing like, you know, ligations and trying to take forceps and digging into people's thighs to try to stop femoral bleeds and stuff. Like they didn't have junctional tourniquets like we do now. We didn't even know how to have like to, you know, we knew what the anatomy looked like. We didn't know how to stop those bleeds at the junction. We, d- we yeah. didn't know. And and even now we're looking at stuff to how to, how to fix the box. Right. So the box is nose to navel shoulders. Like that is the box, right? Like if you, if you get an injury inside of there, that is where medics are uh, really, really trying to focus now on how do we fix it? And we're looking at all kinds of wacky stuff like gels and nanotechnology and trying to figure out how to stop, you know, bleeds inside, getting our surgical teams far forward. That's something that we started doing in GWAT that was uh, a tactic, a technique and a procedure Mm -hmm. that was a little bit different, right? Not only the technology and the skills that they were able to have, but when we started putting people within a thousand meters of the actual line of troops, when you start putting a surgical team so close to like, Hey, this operation might get, kind of squirrely so let's let's put the surgical teams close so that if we do take casualty we can get them to surgery right away so you know the evolution you know we can talk about all kinds of stuff you know military blood administration i I was gonna say carrying blood carrying blood you know that was that was a thing that we learned in gwat where you know pretty you jason cunningham famously when he was you know the battle of tackergar and um, you know, Jason, uh, that's kind of how he made his bones and adam getty we had him on the podcast he was a friend of jason's he went through the pipeline with him uh, one of Jason's instructors, I believe actually, um, you know, Jason was notorious in the career field in a good way. You know, he was uh, notorious for starting a blood program for pushing the docs to be like, Hey, we should be, we should be carrying blood. We should be carrying blood out there. Um, and the whole military medical community, I'm not saying he started it for the whole military medical community. I'm saying that, you know, the, the likelihood that a, a rescue force so that a medical force is carrying blood, uh, went through the roof and now it's, it's gold practice. You know, we've, you know, people understand that the number one fluid that you can give somebody is fresh whole blood and that maybe you get it from a, but like, you know, medics are trained in buddy transfusion. It's went from, we didn't even carry blood before to now every single PJ inside of their upgrade 
gets a blood class and knows how to do a buddy transfusion, literally taking your blood and giving it to a casualty on the spot. Can can I take a, a moment to throw some shade on some folks? Go ahead. Send it. How many people before that said no? So, oh, everybody. Take carrying blood. Bro. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Hey, and, and, and that's that we're talking about one thing. Yep. There are people out there. So if you're listening, I hope you are. And I hope you, you know, heed, but you've, there are people out there and that, that like we have told our, our, our listeners, this is that mm-hmm. dude, we, we are the old folks now yep. right there yep. there are people that are just waiting for us to finally get out and get out of the way and deserve I, to be I hope, so i hope not but that's the reality of it somebody yep. somebody is finally like dude peach just needs to finally just he is holding us back yep um so you don't want to be that person because if you start walking the dog on this like look how many lives could have been saved mm-hmm. look how many lives have been saved and you're out there saying no because it threatens your ego or, right. or, or you think it's dangerous. How, how about nods? How about MVGs? Yeah, the yeah. longest time yeah. we used to jump without MVGs Yep. and, 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 you know, okay, sure. There were advances in MVGs, so it, it helps. Right. But I, I mean, the first part of my career, we were not jumping with MVGs or jump with a red, red Kim light on yeah. the front and green Kim lights on the helm in the back. And everybody which is would insane. Say, they would say the dumbest crap like, Oh, well, it's so dangerous, more yeah. dangerous than jumping and you can't see at night. That's yeah. what you're, and then the follow on the frustrating thing is that they say, no, it's too dangerous. And then that's where the conversation stops. They were like, no, yeah. jumping with NVGs is too dangerous. And I'll, I'll keep it in the medical lane here. There are a bunch of surgical procedures that PJs before were never allowed to do. It is easier to crike somebody than it is to intubate somebody. Now, I know that there are times that you're not going to cut into somebody's throat uh, as opposed to, to, you know, intubating somebody. But, dude, you know how much of my training was focused on intubating casualties that were completely just near dead, right? And you would just be trying to get this intubation forever, forever, forever. Thank goodness we finally moved along. Like, hey, if this guy is unresponsive, Crike. give him some pain medication, crike him, get an airway for the love of God, oh, you know, or a, yeah. a, a blind airway of some sort that works where you can literally just shove a tube into their mouth to get an airway. How many, how many patients did we lose? Because people were focused on mm-hmm. innovation. You know, I, maybe, maybe it's only one, but that's still one too many. The, the fact that we never go another layer deep has been a frustration that I, that's a great point to bring up. No, it, people it, are like, it's yeah. too dangerous. And then that's where the conversation stops. It's not like it's too dangerous. Okay. Well, let's figure out a breakaway system for the NVGs. Let's figure out a way to rig the end, just like we have now. <laughs> yeah. Now, you, every, the students are taught to jump with NVGs. Can you, now. can you imagine going back to, Jumping without MVGs right now? No, absolutely not. The, the I, second I mean, I, that yeah. the second that I got qualified jump at MVGs, I, I never. I was like, "What have I been doing? What have I been yeah. doing?" Because I'll yeah. tell you, what, it wasn't until I was in. I don't think that we were, we weren't jumping MVGs at the three twenty first, were we? Yeah, were we? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were at, towards the end. Towards okay. the end, not Maybe at the beginning. The, yeah. But I, I think, think I left after you, though. No, you're right. You're, you're, you're correct. I did get qualified to jump at the 321st because then when I got to Vegas, I had to do like a check ride. Right. Because it was different commands, right? So I got certified in AFSOC. And then when I got there, I remember my boy MX, shout out Tones, uh, had, to, had to be like, hey, I, I need to take you through a three jump profile just to make sure you're okay. So, yeah. but I remember specifically when I got, like the first time I was under canopy, I was like, 
what have we been doing? I can, I can see my see whole team. Everything. I can see everybody. It's so clear up against the night sky. Ugh. Anyway, there's no there's no half breaks landing. Like, <sighs> here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh my god. You know the worst. But I the mean, worst. So walking the dog on a little bit. How many things that are we and say we the collective we being told no to now that, that in are five years ten years <laughs> right. are, are going to become common practice <laughs> are going yeah. to save lives. Yeah, you, you're talking about the. Um, Oh man, I'm really I'm gonna throw shade again. Um, Here we go. Love love my maintainers, mm-hmm. right? But they are uh, TO driven, technical oh, order totally. driven, right? Yeah. They, like Not they, innovation driven. Yeah, it's right, backwards. They, it, it is it is black and white, and because these aircraft avionic systems and every, every all that goes on with the aircraft, you know, General Goodman said on on the on target podcast that there's you know six thousand miracles that happen just to get an aircraft airborne, which is absolutely true because these things are quote. so so complicated. Right, um, it's a flying supercomputer, especially when right. you talk about F twenty two, F thirty five, like the F one seventeen was complete. Well, that was the first uh, the first aircraft that was completely piloted um, by electronics, avionics. Like, and that thing was not supposed to fly. The one seventeen yeah. is just a, a modern miracle of aviation. So, so the maintainers are are they're black and white. They they are technical order driven mm-hmm. and. Right now, when we start talking about air, um, agile combat employment and landing planes and jets at random places or remote places where there's not a maintenance package there, um, that, which is what they're used to, mm-hmm. they, they want to deploy with a whole bunch of, you know, pallets upon pallet positions of, of gear and lighting and stuff like that. Nah, dog. Like, you get a so, toolbox, you get you, a red, yeah. you get a headlamp. You know? Yeah, you get a toolbox, a headlamp, mm-hmm. or a helmet with a headlamp. You know, mm-hmm. so that and 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 you go to work. Yep. Um, it, that believe it or not, that is a struggle. Like where I'm at right now, that is a struggle trying to get people. But coming from the community that we come in, it's like, well, yeah, of course you're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, like, of course you're right. going to travel light. That way you can. You, one, you're not carrying a whole bunch of stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, I still have it in my head. Like, Oh, I've got to carry this. So I, I'm going exactly, to go gotta, light. <laughs> exactly. I got to, yeah. When I yeah. start talking about going to deploy this, I'm in my dumb PJ brain. I'm like, all right, so I got to pack all this medical stuff out and then I'm going to need the saw and then yeah. I'm going to need the jaws. I'm going to need these batteries. And I got my personal load out and then I got my weapon and I got my secondary. And then I, Oh man, I'm going to need a couple litters. I'm going to need the, the mass casualty hit. Like I'm just going you through get it all together. And, I, and yeah, then right. you start cutting it. You're like, Oh, and, nope, and, don't need yeah. that. Don't and then you that. wrap it up on a Skedco so you can drag it. Cause it's too yeah. heavy to carry on your back. <laughs> That's what we do. So it, anyway, what, what I was getting at is it usually like, that community right now is on the struggle bus in the way of like, they are telling us no a lot mm-hmm. and, and maybe for some good reasons, maybe not, but we've got to find some middle ground to where don't just immediately go. Nope. Right. Nope. How about, how about yes, but, or, right. or a no, but right. Like, you know, we, we've got to get past that. So how many things are out there that we are doing right now that are costing lives or will cost lives or that will, ch- or will go like, holy cow, how did we do this before, you know, 10 years down the line? Yeah. So w- with that, when you start talking about junction tourniquets and stuff like that, how many lives would have been saved had, had a, uh, an IFAC or tourniquets, multiple tourniquets that people carry, how many lives would that have saved? Dude. How many, how many advancements? I remember talking to, um, Mike Laurie about this, mm-hmm. about how, um, 
you know, not war, but GWAT and Afghanistan and Iraq, how, how ugly it is. But at the same time, the advances in medicine, and, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about not just military medicine and, and trauma medicine. I'm, to, I'm talking about civilian medicine, fi- civilian practices, or um, you guys don't call them TTPs, proce- procedural. They're called whatever. TMAPs. Okay. Uh, tactical medical uh something protocols i'll I'll look it up and see what that, that okay. actually means but the, but like yeah the there's, there's essentially best practices yeah the the medical protocols that they transition from military because mm-hmm. really when you're yeah. in that kind of trauma thing we're Tac- just trying tactical, to s- tactical medical emergency protocols there we okay. go anyway so you know if, if i'm out there dying on a freaking on target you do whatever you can mm-hmm. to to save me well that starts like, hey, how did you think about that? I don't know, mm-hmm. man. I just, I just kind of problem solved this, and it worked. Then you get some people that start, you know, because we after actions uh, report it, you know, and talk about it, and they're like, okay, well, let's start training on that and see how. Holy shit, we're starting to save a lot more people. Mm-hmm. All that, and it takes a couple of years because you know, then the um, it's not the FDA, whatever the the medical board then yeah. says, oh, okay, this is a viable practice. And then it goes right. into the civilian and then, and stuff like that. So yeah, the AMA, the American medical association. Yeah, we go. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, so going even farther, how many advancements in prosthetics are yeah. there now? Yeah. I mean, we oh. have, we have active duty members that are amputees that are still able to They're go instructing. Yeah. They're running. They're passing physical fitness tests. We had it a green nuts. green beret went back and deployed. There's a very famous picture of a green beret that lost his leg and then went back on the next deployment with a prosthetic. And it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I want to <laughs> say an air. I want to say an Air Force pilot was the first amputee that was able to return fully to service. I, I think that's a truth. I'll I'll look it up here in a second. But you know, as I'm kind of, uh, if you want to Google that, go- Google Air Force pilot prosthetic return to service or something. And then I, I, I want to say that he was the first one, but speaking on this stuff about how it's evolved, you know, sp- specifically to tourniquets, right? So before really GWAT tourniquets weren't as ubiquitous as they are now, right? Like we were training for it and we were doing it. But when you talk about that transfer over to the civilian world, tourniquets in the field were like not a thing. Cops carrying tourniquets was never a thing. Um, EMTs carrying tourniquets. There was all like this misinformation and bad science around, well, if you put a tourniquet on and it's on for more than eight minutes, you're going to cause tissue death and that t- <laughs> that limb is going to die. And then slowly, like as, as you were like, you know, it was crazy, you know, deploying. And when you would come back home and you go do EMT rotations, you'd look around, you'd be like, guys, where are your tourniquets? What happens if somebody's bleeding out? They're like, well, you put pressure on it and then you got to call a doctor to make sure it's okay. Like all this other stuff. And then uh, in ERs, was a, it was a crazy thing. And I remember this. I can't remember what year it was, but there was a tourniquet, but it was like on the wall, almost like in glass. Like you'd have an AED and I'd be like, oh, that's tight. You guys have tourniquets. Are you train? And they're like, no, only the doctor can put that on. Oh my like, gosh. Are you joking? I've got knucklehead E3 Ranger qualified dudes that carry two tourniquets and they can put this thing on in 10 seconds. You're telling me you registered nurse don't know how to put a tourniquet on? Like it was crazy. But now you see it all the time. You know, you see cops that get shot and immediately throw their tourniquet on and people are, you know, civilian TCCC classes. So good on those folks that are running, you know, those kind of wilderness training um, sort of things and, and responder first aid stuff. But, you know, that's that's the evolution of civilian civilian medicine really driven by military mm-hmm. best practices. And it's everywhere from prosthetics to to blood to, you know, a lot of these things that we were doing in the military. That's when people when we try to explain that 
pararescuemen are paramedics. However, we have a much larger scope of practice. You know, it, it reminded me when, when you were talking about people saying, no, I've worked for flight docs that were like, well, yeah, I could teach you how to do this procedure, but without me over your shoulder, I really don't feel comfortable with you doing it in the field. And you're like, hold on, dude. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like either train me properly. Yeah. Cause I'm going to do it out in the field either way. Like, so (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Well, pararescue men, team leaders, it's written into the, to the, the rules that guide us, right? The rules and regulation pararescue team leaders are actually the on-scene medical control. So regardless, like if you have to do something to save somebody's, and this includes cutting someone's leg off to get them out of a trapped vehicle. Like if I have to make the decision to do a field amputation, we are trained in that. And I get to make the call. I don't have to call home to dad yeah. to see if I'm allowed to do that. Like I am dad. Like you're if you're going to be time and like, is this going to be okay? Or hey, uh, we're getting shot at and this guy's going to die if I leave him in this vehicle. But is it okay if I do something that I've yeah. trained on a cadaver 10,000 times? Get <laughs> out of here. Anyway. So uh, to answer your, your amputee question, there's actually been quite a few. So um, as recently as an F-15 Eagle guy who had a, a cervical disc mm-hmm. uh, prosthetic, there oh, wow. was a, a captain back in 2016. She, she had a, a left hand missing. Um, and so had a, a, uh, prosthetic. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one. There was another, uh, captain. She had a leg missing mm-hmm. and she's amputee and has a prosthetic. So, nice. like, so it's good. Cause it's, it's like, the, <laughs> I, this, I can't believe I have to say this, but these are extremely valuable people that have a lot of experience and a lot of, um, bring value to the mission. Yeah. Uh, like, why wouldn't we, still have them operate now i i got it like i remember and i won't say what unit he's from but he was an army guy and he had he you know he did an elected amputation because mm-hmm. um just chronic knee pain and they, and you know they of course they wanted to put him on opiates during that time um and it was like I, i'm not doing that so it just oh years years and he he did elected amputation mm-hmm. he had three different legs one for your everyday, one for doing offsets, you know, going mm-hmm. on a half, going to an offset. Mm-hmm. And they had another one for jumping. Get dude after was, it, dude. Dude was still operating. And it Man. was amazing. I wonder why that guy got his pants tailored to high yeah, to massive high- steel balls, dude. And like what a like that is badass, man. Like yeah. why why would you ever tell somebody like that they couldn't or no? Well, somebody probably did. Fuck those guys. That uh, somebody probably did, and that's why he's like, Oh yeah? Well, let me show you something. Right. Oh yeah. Watch this, homie. Yeah. All right. So there, that, that was a long answer. We yeah, covered a lot of ground answer. there. So <laughs> CAS, medicine, whatever. We're going to move on to the next one. Uh, so we got asked about the positives and negatives of Air Force culture. So we're going to start off with a negative so that we can go to the positives. Um, because of our competitive nature, okay, we are all competitors all the time. You want to win, okay? If you're going to win, that means you compete with your friends. Sometimes that competition leads to a slightly, I will say, toxic environment, right? (laughs) Um, If you mess up in front of your friends, your friends are going to call you out. We have a culture of accountability. We foster and approve of winning and competing and fighting because that's what we do downrange. You have to fight, win, and compete. And sometimes that means, like, I'm not using hyperbole here. Sometimes you are fighting for your life, for your literal life. You are trying to be better than your adversary in a gunfight. So you are trying to be better than them, right? 
it is hard to turn that switch off with your friends, with your community. It is hard not to gossip about dudes. It is hard not to talk shit about people. There are going to be personality conflicts. And unfortunately, those personality conflicts, they sometimes, I mean, there, there's dudes that get in, you, you know, the, the old school way about it was you had a problem with a dude on your team. You'd take your blouses off. You'd go out to the mats. You'd go yep. punch each other in the face. But the goal there was you go punch each other in the face and then it's over. That was the goal was, okay, you got it out of your system. You don't like each other. Doesn't matter. I have a very good friend of mine. I respect him as a man. He is an amazing pararescue operator. He's a great team leader. He and I do not like each other. <laughs> uh, did not like each other on our first time. Literally, the guy looked at me after knowing me for about six months was like, hey, man, uh, I, I hate you. I do not like working with you, but I'm not here to like you. I'm here to work with you. I respect that guy more. Like, we're good friends now. You know, I, we're still not very alike. We still differ on a lot of, we still get into very respectful, but very heated arguments about <laughs> stuff. And I'll tell you what, man, I respect that guy. That's how it's supposed to work. It's a little bit different now though. So now, you know, especially you see, and you see it in everything, right? Like you see people that'll shit talk, David Goggins, people that'll shit talk, Mike Glover, people that'll look at, you know, look at Tim Kennedy. He's a very polarizing figure, right? guys that are nowhere near as qualified as experienced as Tim Kennedy for whatever Tim Kennedy is, you know, there's civilians out there like, Oh, I just don't like the way you do all oh, these seals that are writing books. Oh, these guys that are on this podcast. Oh, these got the toxic nature. Like that does extend into AFSOC, right? Because we're only human. We're a group of competitive alpha males as cringy as that sounds to say in, in the environment now, you know what I mean? Um, but we are those arch typical dudes. Like we are, and it's, t it's tough to stay away from the negative. And I'm, I fall victim to it all the time. I, uh, you know, I say things that I'm, I'm like, damn, I wish I wouldn't have said that. We talked about it earlier, looking back and going, I can't believe I did that. You know, that man, that, that extends to interpersonal stuff too. So this culture in AFSOC, I'm saying that it can be negative and I'm also taking ownership of it can be negative because I am a person in this community and I've contributed to those negative aspects of it. So I want to make that completely clear, right? Like this is not me saying AFSOC is terrible and everything's always negative and it's somebody else's fault, right? Because that's not what I'm saying. I take ownership of it. Now we try to make it better. We try to influence it in a positive manner. I've, I've taken actual steps in my daily life to, don't gossip. Don't talk shit. I don't, I don't like, I don't apply intent to somebody. Like, I don't know what their intent is. People will do things and I'll be like, well, I don't agree with that back in the, you know, when I was younger and stupider, I'd be like, oh, well that means they're a bad person or they must've intended to do this maliciously. They probably didn't because I've had people that are like, oh, well you did this because you're a bad person. It's like, that wasn't my intent at all. I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't mean it the way that you're framing it. And oh, by the way, that's that's I would never do that. That's not the type of person I am. So it can be negative. It can be toxic. I'll tell you that for sure, because we want those strong personalities. We want those independent alpha male hard chargers sort of dudes. You are going to compete your entire career with people like you compete to make rank. You, that guy may be your friend, but if you're the same rank, you're trying to do things better than him if you're going to make the next rank, if you're going to get the next deployment, if you're going to do the next cool school, you're going to have to compete with people. And sometimes people get lost in that competition and they forget like, hey, these are real humans with real feelings that are just trying to do their best. Uh, 
Uh, and, you know, it, it can be for, for me, it, you know, negatives of the AFSOC culture. I, th I think that's negatives of all special operations culture. Right. And you can see it like how many, how many, you know, bro vet mill meme pages are out there. Like look at the comment section of some of those things when, when a meme pops up or when an issue pops up and look how many people have super strong and negative opinions on stuff. Well, not even, not even those like, <clears throat> Just look at any post that CSAF, SIMSAF, um, any of, you know, Austin, Millie, any of them put up or, or even an organization mm -hmm. like it's, oh, that comment section. Yeah. Is, and I'm, is, man, I'm just as guilty of it. I'll, I'll get strong feet. Like you see what you think is a behavior from a person and you see it repeated a couple of times and immediately like piece of shit. <laughs> that that per whatever and we do it to each other where nick uh nick kumalatos said it best he he said we're we're effing cannibals man the second that one of your bros shows weakness or the second that somebody in the community <laughs> shows weakness you think that like you're like because you think that you know that person and you're like no nah, i'm a hammer this dude this is what we would do in the team room i'd just be like no nah, f you you pos i'm gonna call you out and i'm gonna blast you out on social and no like we are the first people like we say we have this community sometimes. And then sometimes the worst smoke you get is from the community just right away. It's like a reflex. Yeah. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know I why don't. it is. I, I think, I think it's the competition thing. I really it's, do. Like, yeah. well, you know, I mean, it, look at, look, look at this yesterday. Right. So the, the, the just F and quit. Right. Page. <laughs> By the way, I love that. page. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't uh, know why I said effing because we've already cussed on. We've here. already so just, cussed. Yeah, so, we're gonna so just just fucking quit. Yeah. Um, you know they're they're doing this um, challenge thing, which is hilarious, right? You know yep. for points, mm -hmm. and then then they called me out on it. <laughs> I actually, yeah, they called me out on it, and I was like, oh, all right, well, okay, now ego, mm -hmm. uh, competitiveness. And I had one day to do it because I, I hadn't I hadn't paid attention to it beforehand. But sure. then when I got tagged in it and called out on it, I was like, okay, well. So I ended up going and running a mile as fast as I possibly could in the middle of the day in Las Vegas. Tight. Um, because I had to meet the timeline. And I didn't I didn't score a single point. Didn't make didn't make the top twelve or whatever it was. Right. But I damn near, you better believe I was coughing the whole, the rest of the day. And <laughs> right. I'm sitting here going like, man, my competitive spirit, uh, definitely has not died because right. good God, I just get called out just a couple words on a screen. And now sure. I'm like, okay, brother. Okay, you know what brother. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's like, dude, uh, wow. Yeah. But, and that, I, but at the same time, like, I think that that, competitiveness translates into a positive i do and it is exactly it is not all negative it right. translates to a positive because in order to be the best in order to go into situations like we have to go into and and perform in some terrible s scenarios just mm -hmm. thinking like just right off the top of my head think h kaya oh, think yeah. yep. um you know Disaster relief in, in Turkey, Pakistan, Japan. How about right here in our homeland? Uh, you know, during during hurricane relief, like some mm -hmm. of the terrible things you got to do, you have to be, um, 
you have to be competitive and go, oh, well, I'm going to get after this in order to be successful. Right. So, cause sometimes if you were to go in here and go, Oh boy, I don't know. I'm having second guesses mm-hmm. and you need to be, you need to be all in on it because if you start having doubts, you might make a mistake and you might hesitate. And then we've yeah. talked about hesitating before, you know, an 80% solution getting executed is better than not no solution at all better than a hundred. Yeah. An 80% solution executed right now is better than any hundred percent solution executed two days from now. Like that just is, it just is right. And I think you're totally right. The, the positive stuff about, you know, AFSOC culture, you're surrounded with the best dudes that you'll ever meet. You're surrounded with the best people that you'll ever meet. They're, you know, multiple three or four time volunteers to do these given professions. They're driven. They, they really do want to help you underneath a layer of bravado and sort of anger and whatever. You really don't know a ton of like bad people that get into these career fields. Really? You, you might disagree with somebody. Everybody's going to have disagreements with whatever, but you know, the culture really does coalesce around a given mission set. People seem to be doing it for the right reasons. Even the people that that do display that toxicity or do display that angry attitude, they do so because they have such a deeply held belief in what it is that we do and the righteous missions that we do They're They just maybe say it in a way that you don't like it, you know? Um, so there, there's way more positives about the, the AFSOC culture. You know, people emulate special operations for a reason. The regular forces say, I want to be like these people for a reason. Airsoft exists because they want to emulate being on a small team of people doing hard or impossible things. That's it. You know, that's, that's why they dress up and cosplay and LARP. Um, oh, dude, I love, I love watching the, uh, the Rangers. He's got a YouTube channel or something like that. Him, him and a couple other Rangers go and do airsoft and wreck people. Did, I was going to say, do they just murk people? <laughs> oh, dude, it's not even, I mean, they are points of domination, mm-hmm. pie in corners, <laughs> just, wrecking people. Just and angle man, awesome. corner boy, just, just hurting people's awesome. feelings. <laughs> oh man, it's so good. Just running through them. It's hilarious. It's, that is one thing that I do like is uh, I have had, you know, when you go force on force UTM, there is always an opposing force. And this is kind of like a tangent, but it's always funny to watch people that come in that think that they're, you know, they, they know about tactics and stuff. And it's, it's really funny. Uh, we did this. I won't say what country it was from, but we were doing force on force training. When I was deployed in Africa one time and uh, the opposing force were like, Hey, okay, cool. Now that we're doing that, we're going to do some force on force. Here's the protective equipment that you need. Cause there's a whole reg that says how much protective equipment that you need. And like for us, like, man, it's protective equipment for me. Plus like, you're not supposed to shoot your buddies in the face. It's not supposed to be a thing. It's supposed to be a center mass thing, but there's always rounds that have like stuff happens. Right. So like, I've got my schmug around my neck cause it sucks to take UTM rounds in the neck. You know, I've got my yeah. eye pro, you know, my sleeves are rolled down like they're supposed to be. So the opposing force was kind of just like, oh no, we're gonna, you know, and some dudes had like short sleeves on. Some dudes had just like the bare minimum of stuff. And we were like, you guys, do you guys want to do that? And there was a little bravado like, oh, d- don't worry. I, we're not going to get hit. Like we, we're going to, we're going to be fine. Uh, okay. It was funny after, it was funny after about two, uh, after about two runs, those dudes were like, can we get like a 10 minutes? We're going to change some clothes out. A lot of long <laughs> sleeves popped up. A lot of, they, they started looking at us and be like, man, maybe I better put this scarf around my neck. Maybe I better start doing it. It was pretty funny, but it's, it's because like the difference between trained and untrained, the difference between, you know, those Rangers and the airsoft dudes, the difference between somebody that thinks they know CQC because they took a single couple of classes from a dude that maybe, you know, a SWAT guy that maybe done it at one time. And then guys that actually do it for real a lot. 
It, oh yeah. A little bit different. A little bit yeah. different. And I also of note, uh, real actual tactics don't work in call of duty. Yeah. No, uh, they do I was, not. I was sitting over there with my son the other night and, uh, you know, I was like, oh, let me grab that controller, which I'm terrible at. And I just kept <laughs> right. getting murked because I'm sitting just here murked. trying to like use angles and no. stuff like that. And they're no, just killing no. you. And they're, they're just like jumping, jumping and, and shooting. Yeah. Jumping like, and I, shooting you and somehow headshotting you. Yeah, yeah it doesn't work. <laughs> All right. So that's changing aside. Positives, negative, Air Force, uh, AF culture, AFSOC culture. There we go. Next one. Uh, so we're going to talk about the future fight. So this is this is a tough one. And I'm going to start this with I'm going to start this with a uh, sort of a caveat when people ask us the question came specifically like oh well what is pr going to do in the future fight like how does that look okay guys we cannot tell the future when we get asked this question it's like people want to know exactly well how are you going to do this it's a systems based approach and not a specific scenario based approach right so when we talk about the future fight we can only guess what that is but if we're going to go to the number one thing that we all think it is, which is a protracted near peer engagement with someone that can take away our advantages or has advantages that are equal to ours, then we have to think about how do PJs work in that environment? How do controllers work in that environment? How does the larger force work in that environment, right? So there's no way for us. It, when people ask us this question, well, well what's personnel recovery going to look like? I'm like, I don't know, but I know what skill sets we have right now. So now if you give me a context, okay, near peer protracted war. Okay. Well, that sounds like the PJs, if they're going to rescue somebody and they don't have air and they don't have the ability to communicate and they don't have just freedom of movement everywhere. Well, it sounds like we're going to have to be much smarter in how we prepare for the event. So all the way back to phase zero, we're going to have to do a much better job of figuring out where the people are going to go. How do we meet up with them with no comms? What do we do with them once we get them? What if we're in the field for two weeks? not two hours. How are we going to stage medical in order to save those people? What if there's an extrication problem that we have and we, we can't make loud noises. We can't use a Sawzall. We can't use a jaws of life. We don't have power. We don't have an, an aircraft to just drop in another kit when we need it. I can't tell you what personnel recovery is going to look like in that environment. I can't give you a black and white answer of what is combat control going to do in this environment. I can't tell you, I can tell you that we have the capability to answer that question. We're going to continue training core skills because the core skills of a combat controller of an air force special tactics team of an, uh, air combat command rescue team full of PJs and crows and tac P's and all kinds of other people. I can tell you that those core skills are going nowhere. The need for that capability is going nowhere. How we make that capability work in another environment. The world is your oyster. So it's a, a weird thing to try to get people to wrap their heads around. But if you can think about, okay, well, we're going to fight China. Okay. So what can China do that these other people can't do? Oh, well, they can deny airspace. And they can wait. You don't need to know anything. So, like, I don't have any special knowledge to answer this question. The people asking this question could actually answer their own question just by going, okay, well, what does the PJ do? They gain access to a patient. They stop the patient from dying. They bring the patient back home in time to, so that the patient doesn't die. Okay. So now tell me how we do that against China. You tell me what the future fight is going to look like. And you would be just as right and just as wrong as me. Like I am not smarter than anybody else. Right. I don't know how you feel, but I, it's, it's just like a tough, it's a tough thing to try to talk through. It's the way, no, I mean, that's, that's pretty accurate. What I would add to it or, or at least 
maybe not add to it, but what I kind of tell, like when I brought up the maintainers or even some of the pilots that struggle with this um, kind of mentality of like, well, hey, this is what I'm used to. I should be landing back at, you know, because in mm-hmm. Afghanistan and Iraq, that's what they were used to. I'm, I'm landing back in Kandahar. I'm landing back in Bagram. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm going to go hit Chow. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable yeah. because you're going, you don't know where you're going to land. When you take off it, in real world, when you take off, that might be the last time you're ever there because right. that airfield then gets destroyed. You can't yeah. recover or, there. Or we, we planned to launch you from there. And then the people that launched you from there left yep. because they didn't want to be there because then the enemy knows they're there. Like that's part of agile combat employment and hub mm-hmm. and spoke. Maybe they get a package there to get ready to go. Everybody lands, everybody figures it out. You refuel, you take off and then everybody else leaves too. It doesn't even have to be, you know, the enemy destroy the airfield. It can be, we only wanted to use this for one specific operation and then we're out. Yep. So that's, I mean, yeah, I don't really have anything else uh, on that really because you, you crushed it. So, okay. Uh, And then kind of like a follow on is like, how much will depend on aspect war and capes and the the future fight? Like how much, how, how much are people going to lean on the air force? I have full confidence in saying this. Uh, If you look at GWAT, there was a time where you were not allowed to leave your base without a call sign attached to you. No kidding. The entire military operation, if you wanted to leave the base, a call sign had to be there like for, for special operations, period. That was a, that was a law. That was a rule. If you, unless you had a, which was the JTAC call sign, you weren't allowed to leave the base. PR is min force. You have to have PR CSAR in your mission planning. You have to have a plan for personnel recovery and combat search and rescue period, or you will not get approved. You have to have an evasion plan. That evasion plan comes from a seer specialist. You have to have some sort of ability to be recovered. So those things are true and they're going to be true in the future fight. So, you know, we know how important air power is. We know how important personnel recovery is. We know how important some of those soft skills like evasion, resistance, and escape are. We know that those things are not going away. And we know that the air force is the gold standard for those things right? So that's how important aspect war is going to be. This, this question kind of feels like you're saying like, okay, man, like I'm kind of on the fence about aspect war. I want to do this, but like, is it going to, are they going to be players in this event? Dude, you know how important air force is. You know how important air power is. You know how important air to ground integration is. You know how important PR is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, you got to think of air force special warfare is not just going to support special operations or, or SOCOM, it is going to support the air force. It is going to support big Navy, just like NSW Navy, Naval special warfare is going to support big Navy and SOCOM. Like it's, it it is not specific to special operations. I'm looking at the note. Did I just screw up by saying the call sign name? You're good. I'm going to, I'm going to bleep it out (laughs) just in case. Put the clown horn in. God damn it. I'm going to bleep it out just in case. (laughs) I just, I just got on a roll. You know, I know. Jesus. It, anyway. It's one of those things. I think it's okay, but like, just in yeah, case. Fine. All right. Yeah, my bad. Just definitely put the clown horn in there and I'll knock out a set when we get done. Exactly. I love it. The clown horn is the best thing we've ever done. All right. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. We had a question on talk light uh, and I kind of laughed when I was, when I was talking through the discord channel, somebody was like, Oh, can you talk about T O C L? And I was like, what's that? And the dude kind of immediately was like, uh, it's talk light. It's like mobile <laughs> command and control. I was like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, we've been doing that forever. We just, they uh, <laughs> gave it a name 
that was new that I didn't hear about it, but it's really, um, so TOCL talk light. So tactical operations center light, meaning a mobile tactical operations center, something that is slimmed down that you could have. And again, if you think about what we just talked about with airfields, think of that in the tactical sense. If you have a room with a bunch of computers and it's a central hub, that room can be blown up. That room can get cyber attacks. That room can be degraded in some way, right? If you have it mobile and you don't know where that room is, it's much harder to interrogate. It's much harder to stop, right? So that's the the idea right. here. But what it's not a it's not a concept though. Like talk light is actually a a a kit, right. if you will. Yeah, like, it's kind of like a what's called a sat pack or yep. a talk light, and there's different capabilities within that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, boy, like we're we're talking about a very confusing topic right now sure. uh, for folks out there. Same with uh, joint all domain command and control is yeah, which JAD C two right is a now JAD C two is a concept or a mm-hmm. program. Well, mm-hmm. I, I guess probably it's a program or record now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Air Force has its own. The Navy has its own. Mm-hmm. The joint community, it, which all tie into JADC2. Um, like, like I said, it, it, don't get hung up on it because it right. is ever-evolving. It is constantly changing. The idea, though, the idea of all of it is that in a joint environment, you know, you've, you got blue, which is air force, you got green, which is army and then so on. Right. Um, that everybody's able to talk on a, and you would think that this would be normal, right? It, it's not, mm-hmm. you would think that I would be able to talk to Marines, uh, through certain radios and systems in most cases. Yes. But sometimes our systems just don't talk to each other. So the whole point of this is to be able to get on a common language, a common um, piece of equipment uh, so that everybody can talk together. That sure. is so that we can do command and control on it. Um, you know, sat packs or talk lights, mm-hmm. all that equipment just provides um, numerous avenues because instead of it being a kill chain, we're looking at a kill web. And instead of it being a pace plan where it's a, you know, primary alternate contingency emergency, uh, means of communication, it is, it is instead of kind of being stacked and this makes sense in my head, but instead Mm -hmm. of it being stacked, like we're going this it's, it's flattened Mm -hmm. and it just goes out to everything. Right. Kind of thing. So, you know, it's, I'm amazed that somebody even knew what a talk light was, or at least knew to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We're not going to talk about pieces. Of, yeah. Yeah. We're not going to talk about pieces of equipment. We're not going to talk like it's, it's out there. You can Google it and find news articles and, and stuff that, that have come out. But you know, the, the point here is that we want to be mobile. We want to be agile. We want to be lethal and we want to have a kill web. So the kill chain is a great book. You should go back and read the kill chain. It's great. You know, talk, we, we talk about shortening the kill chain by, overlaying and integrating AI. We want to have the fastest possible decision matrix to get to kill that we possibly can, right? As we're evolving, we want a web. If you have a chain, that means you break one link and the chain is broken. If you have a web, like a spider web, you can destroy a whole bunch of those pieces of the spider web and you still have connectivity throughout, right? So it's just a a thing that we're moving towards. So um, I think that's good for that one. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite question coming up. So uh, there was a question about like, no kidding. So aliens are real. I'm I'm calling it right now. Aliens are a thing. How is Aspect War going to respond? Uh, I get it, like this was more of a joke question, but it does raise the the very interesting discussion about space. Space as a domain is the high ground. 
if you don't win in space, you lose. Everybody is racing to dominate the space domain. And whether that's communication through space over the horizon, whether it's, it's no kidding, occupying some sort of area in space. We talked about non, non-explosive, highly kinetic weapons. If you can launch a big steel beam from space and get it just through gravity and terminal velocity to hit an area, that's devastating. The second that somebody can figure out how to do that, how to employ weapons, and we already know how. It's technically illegal to weaponize space right now due to a couple of treaties that we're working. But we need to own the space domain and a bunch of different stuff. Think about, we've talked about it before, but as we talk about PJs or we talk about rescue forces, if you were able to put a rescue force in low orbit, you can get anywhere in the world. You can deploy anywhere in the world in less than 24 hours. So you can just hear, you know, something happens depending on where you are, a single orbit around the earth, a little bit of a move and you can get on the ground really, really quickly. That is, that is a highly interesting problem. You know, we already do space shuttle recovery. We're already, you know, we already are pararescue is the premier force, the premier rescue and recovery force for NASA. We have been for a long time, you know, since the challenger or since challenger, since manned spaceflight has started we have TTPs to go rescue those, those astronauts. Like we made a TTP to rescue astronauts. So as the space domain matures, yes, we might have to fight aliens. Okay. I'm here for it. I can't wait. If alien, I swear to God, I, just like I said, if I, if I ever had a, I, I'm not going to, right? Like too, <laughs> it's too late. I'm not going to have a space rescue, but I swear to God, if I get into a gunfight with an alien, it is over for y'all. You're never going to, you're never going to hear the end of it. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> that one gets you. <laughs> just fight me. I just thinking about how insufferable you would be <laughs> or, or even your first, uh, you know, com- combat jump from <coughs> from Leo or something like that. Oh, or, man. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, I was <laughs> talking about you know because here in Vegas, right? And that yeah. that whole thing happened relatively close to to that because I you know it happened right down the road. I like I sure. know where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so you know we're all talking about it in the house and. I'm like, well, I got a lot of guns in the house. Like, mm-hmm. so it's not like I'm immediately, you know, oh, they're a threat. You know, it's probably mm-hmm. one of those things like, hey, you know, just says situation. And, you know, before I get the, my brain sucked out of my freaking nose. Right. But, you know, like, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just love it. For everybody that wants to really, you know, kind of understand the thought process here, I want you to go listen. It's a little dicky song and it's called Pillow Talk. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, in the song, he talks about, you know, do we even have weaponry that can mess around with aliens? Like, let's say these humanoid 10 foot tall creatures, that's a big target. You know, I say that, that big old head, man, that guy was looking from me 20 meters. It ain't hard for me to clack a dude at 20 meters. (laughs) I don't, I don't even have to, there's no magnification needed. You just put your reflex sight on that bad boy and you go to work. But what happens when you clack that off and it just bounces off them? Cause we don't understand their stuff. Like, Uh. yeah. You're like, oh, my bad, dude. And then you got to get into a fight with an alien. <laughs> Let's go. I'm here for it. I am here for yeah. it. All right. So I, I don't know how Aspect War is going to is going to actually deal with this in a real sense. Right. But the space domain is the high ground. Space is the high ground. We have to go. I, you know, 
number one, the two commands, the two domains that we have to invest in and we have to be better as a country, not just as, you know, AFSPAC war, but as, a, as an entire military enterprise, cyber, number one, space, number two, everything else falls after that. If you don't own cyber and you don't own the space, you do not own anything. You don't own anything real until you dominate cyber and you dominate space. There should be a cyber command. There should be a separate there is a service. cyber command. You mean a service? Like we have Space Force. There should be a yeah. separate service. It should be cyber, the cyber service. And it should be every smart geek we have in the world clickety clacking away for the singular purpose of owning the cyber domain. But that's just one dude's opinion. So <laughs> uh, getting towards the end here. So dealing with conflicts as a team, as a leader, as a follower, and as, as just a person on the team, you're always going to have interpersonal conflicts, right? So Peaches, how do you deal with these? And we'll start off as a leader. If, if you were the leader, how are you dealing with interpersonal conflicts? Not even maybe just yourself, but maybe people that are having interpersonal conflicts. What are some, some tips and tricks that you have to keep the team performing? Um, I kind of get everybody together in the same, you know, the, if it's one or two or two or more people then I just try and put it out in the open that way to try and alleviate any kind of gossip or he said, she said like the biggest, one of the biggest things I think is, is the misunderstanding or the misinterpretation of intent. You know, mm -hmm. somebody says something or somebody does something, they assume ill will, sure. malicious intent. And like that, that's what you got to get out of there. Now, of course, somebody can lie about their intent, but usually you can kind of tell by the language they use or, or the sequence of events of how things happen. You can tell what the intent was, mm -hmm. but I think uh, getting everybody down and, and no kidding, talking about it and addressing it is one of the ways um, that I like to use. Yeah. So there's something called Hanlon's razor and it's, you never apply malice where incompetence could be the answer, right? That, that, that's a handy tool. Again, we talked about it earlier. Kind of, we were talking about you know some possibly negative aspects of of our culture and you know the larger military enterprise, and it's applying intent, right? Somebody does something, you're like, they did that on purpose to hurt me. Well, maybe they weren't thinking about you. Maybe they didn't yeah. have the experience. Maybe they didn't have the experience about you. Maybe they just did this thing because they thought that's what was right, and they didn't think about second or third order effects. And by the way, everybody listening to this has done that. You've gotten into an interpersonal conflict with your spouse with a friend, with a family member where they're like, oh, I can't even believe you wouldn't think about me. You, and you made this you decision. Knew, yeah. You knew that you knew that I went through this or you knew that I am like, dude, no, I, I didn't. Yeah. No, I I'm sorry. Like, you're right. I, I do know that you went through this, mm -hmm. but it's not what I was thinking about in the time. Right. You know? Yeah. So that's great. As a leader, you want to get everybody together, just put it out in plain language you try to respect other people's stuff like, hey, may maybe you did know that this was a soft spot for you. Maybe you did know that this was a, a line for you. Maybe you didn't. Maybe that boundary needed to be established a little bit better, but I really like it. So as a follower, yeah. so let's say you're, you're the person in the conflict. How can you behave in that conflict to make this better and move past it? Uh Try and remain calm. As soon as you start yelling or raising your voice, you've lost. Um, try and also take an objective look at it and see from the other person's point of the other person's perspective and see if the language you used or the actions that you took, um, how they could be perceived from that person's point of view. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're accepting fault or anything like that. It just means that 
you know, like, Hey, well, let me, from their perspective or their background or their whatever, uh, I'm actually kind of not surprised that they thought that, even though that wasn't my intent, like, sorry, that that's the way it happened. But like, here's why I did that and stuff like that. I, I can't think of a, of a single disagreement in the team room or between a, you know, a working group or a, or a command team or whatever you want to call it that hasn't ended, you know, with everybody's like, okay, like, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, and again, you, you can always, you always have taken an outback with the, the boxing gloves. Like yeah, in the about, end. Yeah. And, and again, every single time I've seen that at the end of it, they're, they're freaking hugging each other and it's like, it's all good. So and more importantly, like you're both, you know, you both, you look at each other and you're like, wow, this is really stupid. Like now my, yeah. now I'm, I'm hurt because we punched each other in the face or, you know, we got into some, you know, jujitsu match and now I'm hurt and I'm tired. And I realize it probably wasn't, this wasn't needed. Like we didn't solve anything and you're still my brother. And I, I can't believe that we did that. That's, that's a, that's a good, a good lesson too. One other wrinkle that you're going to have to put in here as a follower, you might have a leader that is arbitrary, like, uh, arbitrating this thing. Like you might have somebody, you know, if, if you have a disagreement with a team member, somebody else may be stepping in to go, Hey, you're an idiot and you're an idiot. And I'm going to fix this for you because this, I can't have this happening in my team room. And I've, there's a million examples of this happening. Right. But as a follower, when you're kind of, when you're in this thing, the added wrinkle here is that you have to be mature enough to listen to somebody's input, even if you think they're wrong. Because a leader could totally come into this thing and they could read it wrong. They could come in and go, hey, you're at fault. You're not at fault. We're going to move past this. And if you're the one that's getting essentially blamed or if you're the one that's hearing those hard languages from from a leader, it's actually going to be worse if then you look at the leader and you're like, no, you're an idiot. And no, you're stupid. You know, (laughs) like it just makes everything worse. So it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes you could be right. You could be correct. And you could still be the one that everybody looks at and goes, Hey, uh, sorry, man, you, you handled this the wrong way. And, and yep. we got to move past it. it. Yeah. Yep. And it, man, that might happen. And, and you just got to, you know, is it, is this important? Is this the hill I'm going to die on? Is this, is this a thing that we need to worry about? Like, you know, whatever. Um, and then kind of the third little wrinkle here, you know, what happens if you're not involved at all? How can you support, like, let's say that two teammates have a serious issue. There's a bunch of interpersonal conflict. The leader steps in handles the problem with the followers. What do you do as a teammate, just as a dude on team or dudette on team? What do you do after that? Oh, there's a, there's a bunch of different, you mean during it or after it? After. Oh, after it? Well, let's go during. That's interesting. How, what, what during, what do you do? I think you just, well, again, there's a couple of different things you could do, you know, um, not get involved. Cause it has nothing to fucking do with you. How about, how about, how that? about mind your business? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. How about you stay in your lane? My God, that's a, that's absolutely fantastic. Don't choose sides. This is not yeah. a, you know, team a or team B sort of scenario. How about you just do me a favor and shut the fuck up? Yeah. Uh, afterwards though, I think it's important to not ostracize somebody cause there, there are going to be times where that person, um, man, and, and I will not bring up, uh, his name, mm-hmm. but there was like, he was dealing with some TBI PTSD stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was not talking about it, but you could just, we could all just kind of see it, you know? And he was, you know, sometimes he would lash out and stuff like that. And it's tough to, um, 
work with somebody very closely that is going through with that because oftentimes you are on the receiving end of that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then it's the easy option is to just kind of distance yourself and like you put up that, that barrier and just like, you know, I'll, I'll deal with you with the, the minimum I have to deal with you. But other than that, like, you know, I'm not going to chat with you. Yeah. But you're, you're essentially making it worse because yep. you are now ostracizing them. You're isolating them. Yeah. And you're supposed to insulate, not right. isolate. You're supposed to bring that dude in and go, Hey, mm-hmm. we're, we're, it might be uncomfortable. But we, we got to talk about this. You got to come yep. in here. You, you can't just be like, all right, F you, you're out. Yeah. Like you've got to do that. Yeah. Even if you disagree with what they did, yep. it's, it's got to be a, all right, man, like, you know, let's bring you in, let's mentor you or each other more. And then let's, let's all get better from this. Yep. And I'd say as a follow on, when it's over, it's over. Yeah. There's going to be, it's, uh, you're going to joke about it. I'll just tell you straight up. Like this, this is a positive and a negative thing. Uh, there are, you know, things that happened in, you know, on team that at the time were dramatic and they were emotional and it was a big deal. And then about one second of time passes when it's over or when it's resolved. And then you start making fun of each other for it. And you're like, Hey, remember the, t- the time you cried at the bar and we had to get you uh, like out of trouble? Like everybody laughs. Okay. But there's a difference between having a moment. And then joking about it later because everybody's moved on and bringing up old shit. Yeah. It can't be a thing. Like the next time that there's a blow up, that's a great, you know, um, example of the guy that's kind of like lashing out. If it's over a specific thing and you guys work it out and you move past it, the next, like the worst thing that you can do is bring up that period in an unrelated next time. And yeah. in, a, in, a, in a, you know, let's say he does something completely different. You'd be like, oh, this is like the time you blew up and lashed out. Like that's not helpful. Bringing no. up that old shit is not helpful. It's toxic. No. It's terrible. Except for my Uber rating. If you ruined my <laughs> Uber rating because I was nice enough to send you to get you an Uber and send you back, and then you puked in their car, and now my Uber rating is <laughs> like, yeah, I'm gonna bring, I may bring that up a couple more times. <laughs> that's great. By the way, that's not me. That's not a shot at me. I've no, never no, no. done that to Peaches. I just want to put that no. out there. So but my Uber rating is not a 5.0 because of that. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is fantastic. That's what happens when you're the non-drinker yeah. around a bunch of a bunch of dudes. Bunch of bros. And we're, and we're in Vegas. Throwing it down. And, and some people are ready to leave or maybe not mm-hmm. ready to leave. They they should have left a while no, ago. because no, Some people should leave. They're not ready yeah. to leave, but they should leave. Yeah. And then some people are not ready to leave. You know, and then you're like, all right, well, I'll get you an Uber, get you back. And then yeah. there's, uh, yeah. Anyway. You never have to worry about that with me because I am the king of the Irish goodbye. There is a timer in my head now that I've, I've grown up enough where I will reach a level of alcohol intake for the night and something in my head goes, it's time for bed, big dog. I won't say anything to anybody. I'll just be like, Hey, I'm very quietly get an Uber. I'm out. I've gotten a text before where they're like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you've been in the bathroom for a long time. I was like, playboy, I'm in bed. (laughs) I'm in my house. I've already showered and I'm in bed. (laughs) Son, I I had some water. I took in some hoist real quick because I overindulged and I don't want to feel bad tomorrow morning. I am out there. Go to drinkhoist.com, by the way. Use code ones ready at checkout. You can use the hydration packs for what they were meant for, which is supporting good, healthy workouts and not avoiding a hangover, which I have done. Because I am a grown adult that sometimes doesn't manage my relationship with alcohol appropriately in an acute sense, not a chronic sense. Drinkhoist.com. Use code ones ready at checkout. It's great. Uh, 
All right. So the last one, uh, integrating lessons from a partner force, if any, I thought initially, and I, I want to apologize to start this one off. I thought this was a really dumb question. When I first saw it, I was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean integrating things from a partner force? But then I thought about it and I actually have a really good example uh, of how we've, we've done this before. And I, I will tell this story. And if something jogs your, your memory peaches, you can, you can hop in with your own. So we were working in Iceland. We were doing the NATO air policing mission. Essentially Iceland doesn't have its own military. The Russians are constantly incurring on, on airspace. So there is a, a reoccurring, it's like a deployment, but there's a reoccurring thing where fighters from a different country take like four month shifts and they go sit in NATO and then the, the Russians fly their little bombers in and then we go interdict them and then everybody flies and they, they go home. Right. So if there's people flying, there has to be a PJ team there. So there we were. And in some of our training, we were working with the Icelandic coast guard. These guys were unreal. Their pilots were some of the best that I've ever seen in the world. Their rescue swimmers were hard as nails. Like everything there is done in a dry suit. It's freezing. The, the ocean is scary. Um, it's big. So we were working with these guys and we were kind of sharing TTPs. And when you're a rescue swimmer and you're ready for pickup, uh, essentially you're, you're, you're taught to wave your hand, right? So we're like, yeah, we wave our hands. And one of their rescue swimmers looked at us and goes, oh, well, you know what we do? Cause it works really well out here is you slap the water. Like you, instead of waving, you slap the water as hard as you can and you make foam around you. I was like, that's Why genius. I was like, hold on. So when we were on the helicopter, I stayed on purposely. I was like, Hey, I want to see this. Like we had one, you know, two of our dudes jumped in and, uh, we're out there swimming. And then, um, when they were ready, just one dude started slapping the water. You could see that from forever away because like there's waves and there's ocean and there's white water and, you know, as the rollers and it depends on wind and stuff. So whatever, but the small disturbance of a swimmer, just slapping that water, it's completely out of place for the environment. It does not look like rolling waves. It does not look like, you know, sea spray, even in choppy water, you could see this. It immediately, like, it was like seeing movement in the woods. Like when you walk in the woods and you yeah. see movement, you're like, you know, hunters know this right, right away. I mean, that's right what away. our eyes are made for. Exactly. And it was the most intuitive thing. And I was like, I cannot believe that. And we came back to Vegas and the group of us that was there, we were like, Hey, check this out. Watch this. And sure enough, everybody that has ever done it, they're like, that is so amazing. That's a, that's a great way to call for pickup is slap in the water. So that story is a good, uh, is a good lessons, uh, lesson that I learned from a partner force, the Icelandic coast guard. That was awesome. I don't know if you have a story like it. Um, not, not one that I can pick up off the top of my head, but I mean, having worked with, you know, several different units with the Brits, the Kiwis, the Aussies, mm -hmm. the Norwegians, the Germans, oh, yeah. you, you kind of take away something. You take away at least one thing where you're like, Oh, no way. These you guys know, do it I, right. I, yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean in like a, a training environment. Like, hey, you went to, you know, cause you went to the Norwegian, uh, winter warfare course. Yeah. And so, I mean, of course you took things away from that, but I'm talking about when you were training or deployed with, with these folks and they're, they're learning stuff from you, the Canadians, you know, mm -hmm. they're learning stuff from you. You're learning stuff from them. It's just little takeaways. And it's, yeah. it's not some mind blowing, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of mind blowing, but 
in a way that like it's simple, but it's like mm-hmm. that could save your life. Oh yeah. Some of the other things are just kind of the way you may wear your kit or I was gonna say that same you, thing. You know, I mean it's you, just you look at somebody else, you're like, oh that's an that's a really smart way to set that yeah. kit up. Or that's boy, that's a really smart way. You know, the the Brits you mentioned, but they had their uh medical response team. So they called it the Mert. So and it was essentially those dudes were on a 46 and it was like, you know, sauce tea, but they would fly on they they could do surgery, they could pass blood, they could do whatever. But we, we learned things from them. Like we shared a wall with them in Bastion and we worked with them pretty frequently. And it would be a thing where you'd go on and you'd look how they set their helicopter up. You're like, oh, that's, that's pretty smart. Or yeah. they would, they'd be like, Hey, why do you do this? And we would explain it. They'd be like, oh, that's a pretty smart way to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I initially looked at this question and I, I was like, ah, I don't know if there's value in that question. But the more that I thought about it, I was like, you take a lot from your partner forces, but again, it's just, it's sharing TTP. It's the same. I I've taken stuff from Marines and army mm-hmm. Rangers and everybody that we work with and partner forces are no different. So yeah, no, not at all. I mean, it's, that's why we do these joint and combined training mm-hmm. just yeah. because it, it's, it's shared, shared info, shared TTPs all, all across the board. Yeah. Highly valuable. Exactly. All right, bro. Well, that brings us to the end. I want to say thanks to the Discord bros, to to Whiskey Mo and to Bent and all, all the dudes that are out there, uh, you know, Mello and all the dudes that ask questions and the people that constantly engage on there. We'll make sure when this episode drops, I think we'll probably quick turn this one just because like Jared. I could, can, I could quick turn it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get it out ASAP. So we'll get it out as soon as possible. Maybe even today. Who knows? Maybe our production uh, timeline will shorten to where we get it out the day that we talked about it. So, um, you know, hey, but but thanks. That community is growing huge. It's more than a thousand members now. It's got great information. It is a wealth of knowledge. You know, before when people would come to us and ask questions, you know, my number one answer would be like, hey, go check our YouTube channel. Go check the page. Now, my number one answer is like, hey, do you know that there's a discord for this? These you know, it's a, it's a clearing house for not just our stuff for everybody, right? Like we're, we don't run the page. We're not admins on the page. I think I am an admin on the page. Yeah, or something. I, I, I think, think they give to I think the three of us are admins on the I page or so. mods, but, but we don't but, know how it freaking works. <laughs> it's not our place. We're just there to add value. And there is a ton of stuff. So multiple different places and channels and avenues and most importantly, community. So it's people talking about their journey there are people in there linking up and training together. There are discussions that people are having where they're making it better. And every once in a while, you know, one of the, one of the older personalities there's, I'll tell you right now, there are pipeline instructors in there. There are recruiters in there. There are active duty operators in there. There is a wealth of information inside of the discord. So, you know, thanks for giving us the questions. I'm going to post a screenshot of the stuff that we talked about right now so that you guys know that we answered all of your questions and uh, we did every single question that was in there uh, last night, even the ones that we kind of addressed in the chat, we still talked about it. So man, we, we appreciate y'all and we'll get that discord link out there. Keep doing what you're doing. I just want to say thanks. Yeah. Holla. I'll pump this out pretty quick. Tight. All right. Well, seems like a good place to end. Follow us on onesready.com. Follow us on the Instagram. Hit us up on the DM. Most importantly, join the Discord. We'll get this out right away. We'll put the Discord. Uh, so the link expires after seven days. So we'll just point you to where the Discord is. And then we'll put a story out uh, with the link in it. So you guys are tracking. Yeah. That's it. Sounds good. Train hard next time. Light up. Like...